Welcome to episode 53 of Radio 815, the podcast dedicated to examining the work of Ready Director J.J. Abrams, as well as his greater Bad Robot Universe. I'm your host. For this week, my name is Marcelo Inestroza, joined as always by my fellow co-host, Matt Crandall. And on today's edition of the show, we'll be taking a look at the Season 3 finale of Lost, Through the Looking Glass, Parts 1 and 2. With that being said, and all out of the way, Matt, we have finally reached the episode that you've been dying to get to since we started Season 3. So I have one final question for you. What do you think of the song, Good Vibrations? I love that they used that reference because it can open a door to so many theories and is also just a great song. But Through the Looking Glass is one of my favorite episodes of Lost overall in terms of the entire series. One of my favorite, certainly my favorite of the third season. And part of it is obviously because we get great action, awesome emotion and a jaw-dropping twist that at the time if you if we can sort of take a time machine back when this episode aired at the end of May 2007 2 weeks before this ABC had confirmed that Lost would wrap up after 6 seasons so before this episode aired we already knew that Lost was starting to shift into the end game if you had asked anyone at the time, how is Lost going to end? They would say, oh, they're going to get rescued. How is Lost going to end? They're all going to leave the island. End of show. So over the course of this two hours, as we move through all the events that are unfolding, the fact that the writers took everyone's expectations for what could possibly happen in a series finale of this show and they drop it on us at literally the halfway point of the series, the end of the third season, we find out in grand fashion. I don't like I don't want to because it's more fun if we talk sort of in order, but I'm just sort of setting the stage that the reason that this was so impactful, not only does this episode say what you thought was going to be the end of this show is only the middle. What you thought was going to be the end of this show and where we were heading is not where we're heading. And the form that you thought this show was married to, the on-island action with flashbacks that echo thematically what is happening on the island, that thing that we have done for, you know, three full seasons, that thing that we are known for, we don't necessarily have to do that anymore. We can take that, we can flip it on its head, and that was such a ballsy move that not very many shows would dare to do it. Not very many shows could actually pull it off and have it be exciting and fresh. And this episode of Lost does that while still having all of the on-island stuff that's starting to wrap up the Losties versus the Others battle that has been ongoing all season. We start to put that to bed. And I just love that for everything I love about Lost, the action, the emotion, 
And the fact that it can still surprise you after three full seasons is why I love this episode. And I'll get more explicit when we get to the very end, because I do think it's more fun if we sort of tease this out. But Marcelo, what did you feel going into this finale where so much is on the line with the Losties getting ready for the others to come for their attack? And, you know, we know that they have the advance word, but were you worried that we weren't going to be able to get the upper hand on these other bastards? I wasn't necessarily worried that uh, our losties weren't going to be able to get the upper hand on these bastards vis-a-vis the others. But the thing that I found thematically most interesting about this episode, you alluded to it in your opening comments. This episode starts with a particular scene of Jack with a beard on a plane asking for another drink from a stewardess. Okay, is this a flashback? Or what the hell is this? It doesn't make any sense. Like you said, Matt, the writers being um, Damon Lindelof and Carlton Cuse took a device that they were using throughout the entire show. You know what? Instead of telling the story like this, we're going to tell the story like this. It showed how much confidence they had as storytellers. And to do something like that at the midway point of a series, I wasn't around when this show was on the air. So I wasn't thinking, oh, the network just renewed the series for two more years. We're going to spend a lot more time with everybody on the island. This episode in itself through the looking glass part one played so much like a serious finale it was insane from start to finish the thing that i loved most about this episode is the way that ever since the others were introduced on the show we understand that they have a belief in what they're doing and that they trust one another but as we've been going on Throughout the season, we've been seeing the little cracks in the other's trust formula. So I love the fact that some of the people who are with the others are starting to question Benjamin Linus's motives. And where that leads to in this episode is fascinating. I do think that you are so right that what's what's great about this is that the others start to find out that Ben has not been honest with them. Because very early in the episode, when Charlie is at the Looking Glass station, Ben gets a call. And I think the the women down there, Bonnie and Greta, say to Ben, "Um, yeah, Charlie Pace is down here with us. And he says that Juliet told him about this station. So what should we do now? And Richard and someone else are with Ben. And they're like, oh, Mikhail. And they're like, what? You told us the looking glass was abandoned and inoperable. And he said, well, what you didn't know didn't hurt you. So don't worry about it. But Mikhail, go over there, get down there. And so what's interesting is that in the first half of this, we are seeing Benjamin Lioness being caught in a lie. And he says, I told you these lies because you didn't need to know about it. And then later... When Ben and Jack have their scene together in the jungle, Ben is pleading with Jack to listen to him that he is telling the truth. Now, 
us as an audience are very hesitant to believe what Ben is saying because we've already seen him lie in this episode. And throughout this season, we have seen that he will lie and say whatever he has to to get what he wants. So as this episode goes on and they are making their trek in the jungle to Russo's message to shut it off so that the satellite phone they got from Naomi can be used to reach the mainland as long as Charlie shuts down the beacon in the looking glass. We are thinking that this is going to be some great triumphant moment. And along the way, when they meet Ben Linus, he says, if you make that call, it will be the worst thing you ever did. Everyone on this island will die because these people are not whoever you think they are. They aren't interested in rescuing you. They care only about the island for commercial reasons. And if you make that call, it'll be catastrophic. So I thought that dichotomy of Ben is still at play. And it's very tough for us to tell which way to lean, which is why we're cheering when Jack beats him to a bloody pulp. But then as the episode progresses, we start to wonder, oh my God, is this guy telling the truth for once? And I just thought that dynamic really increases the tension throughout the whole of this episode. But I did love that even amongst his own group, they don't have time to dwell on it in this episode, but the cracks are showing because Richard and Mikhail know that Ben lied about the situation. And even later, Ben asks Tom to do a deception to try and get Jack to do something that they want. And Tom doesn't necessarily agree with the deception. And they're starting to show that these cracks are forming and the others may not be as unified as they have seemed. Do you think it was a good idea for the Lost Writers to sort of humanize the others? Wouldn't it just been better to like leave them as like these out of control natives? Would you rather have had them be natives of the island or would you rather have had them be people in the way that Damon and Carlton have chose to present them? It's tough to say because I think it would have been a different but also equally interesting way to see if they were people that had just lived on this island forever and were just kind of protecting their territory. And as you said, like they humanize them, but while they do humanize people like Mr. Friendly Tom and some of the other others, Juliet, obviously we still have people in that group who are kind of different, like Richard, who we know doesn't age. So I still don't know like why this guy doesn't age. And Mikhail with the eye patch is just like a speech away from being a over the top bond villain that, it's not like they're all just everyday people trying to do a job. They have peppered in like these oddballs with them. That makes me, you know, unsure of them as a group, because if these people can fit into this group, then what is this group even about? But I don't know. I, I do you think, what would you have preferred? I would have preferred having them be uh, natives to the Island rather than them having to be regular people pretending to be someone that they're not. That would have possibly explained the true puppet master when he reveals himself. Because I feel that 
Ben is still sort of lying to himself and he's still trying to prove to someone that he's loyal of seeing the specific a specific vision or a specific soul of the island. But I don't know what what elements of the story I would have had to change to make that actually work better than what it is that we got ultimately. You know, as we start to move forward in the episode, Charlie is tied to a chair. Desmond swims down. And that's after Mikhail starts shooting at him. Mikhail shows up and says there was another one of them. And as he radios Ben and says, hey, I'm here. What should I do? Ben tells him, kill the girls. <laughs> like, just get rid of this. We're wiping the slate clean. And that's an interesting moment because Mikhail even says, how do I know that you didn't order them to kill me? And Ben says, if I did, you would already be dead. So just shut up and do it. And I love that that just shows that still Ben is in this mode where it doesn't matter any cost. They can't get in touch with the outside world. And the on beach action is that, you know, Jin, Saeed, Bernard are lying in wait for when the others show up. They have set dynamite traps and in those moments, they try and finally the others arrive for like the big confrontation. And I get so frustrated when the first three go off, no problem. And then Jin has bad aim and can't set off his dynamite in time. And so a giant gunfight erupts. What's weird and is like my only part of the episode I don't like is that Jin misses the dynamite like three times, but then he has perfect accuracy when he starts gunning down others on the beach before they are ultimately captured and the plan has gone wrong and Tom and the others are trying to figure out what they should do. Now, our, the rest of our Losties are journeying to that tower and so they see only two of the three smokes go off and they start to think maybe they should go back and help. And Kate is dying to go back and help. And Jack is saying, everyone, we have to stay the course. And Sawyer is in a bad way. He's he's grumpy. We can see there's a lot going on with him. And I love that moment where Sawyer says, I'm going to go. Me and Juliet will go. And he says, Kate, you got to stay. Like, just stay. And he's he's mean to her. And... Shortly after that is one of the best scenes of this episode where Kate is kind of pouting because she is hurt that Sawyer wouldn't let her go and that Sawyer talked down to her. And Jack, as they're still on this march to like this, this big event, Jack sees this and says, you know, he only did that because he cared about you and he he doesn't want you to be in danger. So like, I know that you're hurt, but the only reason is because he cares. And she kind of says like, how would you know? And he says, well, cause I love you. And then he just starts to walk away and, and continue on the mission. And I just loved that moment that it is finally, you know, Jack wanted Kate to not suffer. So he told her why Sawyer did that. 
and he was super honest. And then in almost a Han Solo fashion, like, I love you, I know, um, he just drops that in like, well, I had to tell you this. And why are you sticking up for Sawyer? Well, I just, you know, I could tell you were hurting and I love you. So I had to let you know. And I thought that was a perfect moment. And definitely for any of the fans of Jack and Kate, that is like throwing a giant log on the fire and showing that this Sawyer thing is kind of a distraction because this is the the main thing. Were you smiling ear to ear during those moments, Marcelo, or what? When I watched this episode, that moment gave me goosebumps and gave me so much happy jollies that I stood up and applauded. Even hearing you now, as you were getting to that specific specific scene, I was getting goosebumps even thinking about it now. I just really, really love that the entire sort of love triangle is done now. That's really going to open up another whole bag of worms uh, when we eventually go forward here. It's going to get really, really weird uh, pretty, pretty soon. So just hold on to your hats. I particularly loved how John Locke was introduced in this episode in the pit of death with all the other Dharma skulls, basically where Ben left him in the last episode. I love the fact that, you know, Locke wakes up. He still has that the uh, the bullet wound in his gut from being shot and he looks over to his left or his right and he sees a gun on one of the bodies of uh, the, the Dharma corpses. He takes it out and tries to shoot himself. And just a second after he does that, he hears a voice that says, get up, John. He looks up and it's Walt. So when I saw that, I was like, there's no question now if, if if John goes back to the log cabin, there's no way in hell that he's not going to see Jacob in the chair. So what did you think about that sequence, Matt, and how that played out? I thought it was amazing. And, you know, you were talking about things were going to get weird. And this is where in this episode, things started to get weird because we waited. This is literally at the halfway point of this episode as a whole or the very end of the first part. So we go 40 minutes without seeing John Locke at all. And then we see him and he's in this horrible position where, like you said, he's he's surrounded by skulls, surrounded by death. He can't move his legs. He sees a gun. He thinks, okay, I was wrong. I'm not special. The island has nothing in store for me. Ben has screwed me over. This is the end of the ride. And when he puts the gun to his head, I'm like, there's no way. But I didn't know how they were going to stop it. And when he hears, get up, John, and he sees Walt. And it is one of those, what the hell is happening moments. And it's so great. And he says, get up, John, you got work to do. I was like, whoa, this is nuts. And that is literally Locke makes two appearances in these episodes, this one, and then he disappears for half an hour. And then he shows up in the last 10 minutes. And both of them are used in such a way that it's very impactful. It shows the character in these moments here. He has been through so much and he is doubting so much but Walt showing up and saying get up you have work to do brings back the old John Locke the John Locke who thinks he is special who thinks the island has brought him here for a purpose 
And he knows that that purpose is to make sure they do not leave the island, which puts him in line with Ben, the guy who tried to kill him. So I thought that that set an interesting stage for where this episode would go after this scene and seeing Walt back was cool. And that's the only time he appears in the episode is just that one moment. So it was an interesting breadcrumb, but also it was just like, you know, I, I thought that was a cool device, but it just reminds us that Walt and Michael were both two characters who kind of marched off with very little fanfare. So it's one of those great what the hell moments, but also I'm like, well, was that the best person they could have brought to get him to do that in that moment? Especially because he's already seen Boone a bunch of times. I almost thought it was going to be Boone who would show up. Do you think that the island thinks John is a little bit better than Ben because John is unable to pull the trigger on someone that he is friends with. John is presented with a particular moment and a particular decision in the second hour of Through the Looking Glass. The fact that he can't go through with it to prevent somebody from doing something that will eventually lead to them leaving the island, do you think uh, it is because of John having that last stitch of goodness in him the island maybe chose him over Ben. I do think that that definitely plays a part because we have seen throughout this season and through the flashbacks of when we found out that Locke was in that marijuana cult that Locke, even when pushed will not cross that line, generally speaking. So he still will not kill if he doesn't have to. And any time where he's in a position where it feels like he has to, his conscience does usually override that. And that is something that maybe at one point Ben had a bit of a conscience, but as we've seen his track record since killing his own father, you know, he will kill anyone who gets in his way of his plan. So I do think you're onto something where maybe part of the reason that Locke has been selected by the island and whatever's going on here is because he does have the same conviction as Benjamin Linus, but he does have still some more morality, humanity that he's not willing to sacrifice at this point in time. Before we move on, there is uh, one more thing that I would like to say. When the others uh, basically came upon our losties and, and, and ruined their plan set the signal fires the way that bernard folded and gave them everything really 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 pissed me off that specific scene has ripple effects and it leads to the death of a particular other character that i've that just really really makes me sad Matt, what did you think about the second hour of Through the Looking Glass? What stuck out to you most? So the second hour is where all the emotion really starts to to come home because there is a spot where early in the episode we get some great thrills where Ben meets up with Jack and the gang on their walk and he says, hey, it's me. Uh, I need to talk to you guys. 
you cannot do what you're going to do. If you do it, it'll threaten everything about the island. You guys are idiots, and please do not do this. <laughs> and Jack and him go and have a powwow. And in that powwow, Ben says, look, we have captured Saeed, Bernard, and Jin. And if I don't radio back in 60 seconds, they're going to be executed. And you have to agree that you are not going to continue with this or I'm not going to make the call. And Jack is frustrated because obviously Jack does not believe Ben. He does not think there's any reason why they shouldn't make that call. And so he does hear three gunshots and he thinks in that moment that the three people back on the beach have been murdered. Beats the hell out of Ben. (laughs) Guess what he deserves? Goes back to the group and says, okay, guys, we got to, got to keep marching. And in those moments where Jack is deciding that he is not going to tell the group what has happened and he lets Kate in on it. Matthew Fox is so, so good in those moments, but also it's starting to show that Jack is maybe compromising himself a little bit morally because he's not being upfront and honest. But I did love that he he's not willing to fold to Ben because Ben has revealed himself to be untrustworthy. So there's no reason why we should believe him when he says this is like the, the best thing for your group. Trust me. So I thought that was really interesting moment and really starts to lay the groundwork for like, like I said, the action kicks off after that. But that was making us ask a lot more questions going into the finale when they're trying to make this call and planted so many more seeds of doubt about whether or not this is the right decision that I was really wrestling with it as I was watching. Did Ben almost convince you in those moments, Marcelo? Hell no. Hell to the no. I was hoping that Jack was going to wring his goddamn neck. My better demons got the best of me and I said... Listen, if Jack were to kill Ben at this moment, we would lose our hero of the show. And although it would be interesting to see a fully broken Jack in the flash forwards, they're like broken puzzle pieces that really don't make sense to us until the very, very end. I would have preferred for Jack to wring Benjamin's neck and to see what that would have done to such an amazingly strong character. For the first time um, in Lost, we are really seeing Jack be truly desperate. It is my responsibility to get these people off the island, and I don't care what you say, there's nothing that you can say to me that will convince me that it's the best thing for us to stay here. I need to get these people off because enough is enough. And I just like how Matthew Fox sort of exuded that through his performance in that one specific scene. Yeah, he was awesome. And as we're sort of moving into the home stretch here, one of my other, before we start to get like the teary moments, which you get a few in this episode for sure. uh, Earlier when Sawyer and Juliet are heading back to sort of check out what's happening on the beach, Hurley tries to go with them. And it's another instance of Hurley wanting to be part of the group. And Sawyer says, you can't come with us. You're going to slow us down. 
get the hell out of here. Like, just get lost. And it's a heartbreaking moment, but it, it's happened multiple times where people have sent Hurley away and they've been super mean about it, which me makes it an even better stand up and cheer moment when on the beach, Hurley drives the Dharma van into the beach and starts mowing down the others to save Saeed, Jin, and Bernard. And it was just a, a stand up and cheer moment where it looked like all hope was lost for everybody on the beach. And Hurley shows up with the van, saves the day, and then Sawyer kills Mr. Friendly, Tom, even after he had surrendered. And they say, why did you do that? And he said, that was for taking the kid off the raft. Like, I don't trust this guy. And so those two moments were stand up and cheer moments because the others kind of got what they deserved. And even though Mr. Friendly has been a very interesting figure, Sawyer did what he had to do in those moments. And I loved it. And the fact that Hurley got that redemption after everybody hates Hugo felt like a recurring theme. Um, just put a big smile on my face before the rest of the episode started to put tears in my eyes because then we shift to the looking glass and Charlie is inputting the code playing good vibrations. And as he does this, the TV in the the station comes to life. He has shut down the signal jamming and Penny is on the screen and He's talking to her and he realizes that it is not her boat that is there. And whoever they are going to contact with the sat phone is not who they think it is. And so in those moments, unfortunately, Mikhail, who refuses to die, we've, we've shot him with a spear gun earlier in this episode. He shows up with a grenade at a window And he blows the grenade, hopefully finally killing himself because this guy has got more lives than you would believe. And Charlie seals a door between him and Desmond so that the whole station won't flood. And in his final moments, he manages to write on his hand with the Sharpie that he used to make the greatest hits list, not Penny's boat. And he knows that he has to die for Desmond's visions to come true and for Claire and Aaron to be rescued and taken off the island. And if he doesn't make this sacrifice, then it'll change the future. And he has resigned himself to the fact that this is going to happen. So Dominic Monaghan is terrific in those moments of panic. But then as he's drowning and Desmond reads the message and Desmond's crying and Desmond's uh, awesome in that scene too, just calm and serenity that kind of overcomes him where Charlie is resigned to this fate and the music swells. And as he starts to actually finally drowned, he gives himself the sign of the cross because we know he comes from a religious upbringing and it's such a heroic death. And it brings so much of what we know about Charlie home that, uh, yeah, it made me well up a bit. And it's just one of the most rewarding character sacrifices that everything in that scene was playing out and it didn't feel like a cheap shock value death. It was so earned 
and the performances were so good that it's one of those, you know, when you think about Lost as a whole, that moment is one of the signature moments of the series in terms of devastating character deaths. Even a character that I didn't necessarily love throughout the entire run, they make it such a devastating gut punch uh, that it, it really sticks with you. What did you feel in those moments, Marcelo? Oh man. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to, Jesus, I'm, I was tearing up hearing you talk about your reaction, but the second that, uh, that Charlie steps into, you know, you know, steps into that transmitting, uh, section of the looking glass, once he puts in the code and, and he pushes the button and says, uh, accept transmission and he sees Penny on the screen. I'm like, don't push the button. God, please don't push the button. Please don't push the button. And when he pushes it, I'm like, oh my God. So as I was just watching the scene play, like you said, it was so well acted by, um, by Derek Monahan. When uh, Mikhail, look, I finally got his name right. Mikhail basically pulls the pin on the grenade. I had no idea who that was at, at, at that particular moment because I was so wrapped up in the fact that I knew Charlie was going to die. I was just swept away by everything. And when Charlie swims up to the, uh, to the door and puts his hand to make that classic image from Lost, uh, not, Penny's bowl, not Penny's Boat, I have a, I have a t-shirt with uh, Charlie's hand and it reads, Not Penny's Boat. And like you said, Matt, it was so, so well-earned for a character that throughout his time on the show really wasn't respected and he was always an afterthought. So I really like that Damon and Carlton took the time to build him up you know, and, and make him a critical, critical part of the show for fans who didn't like him and to sort of amplify him for fans of the show who did. Make people who liked him feel the importance of the character for for people like me who loved him from day one i thought was such a smart move on their part i really really loved his death and the fact that he uh uh basically uh gave himself the sign of the cross at the very end was just phenomenal yeah it was a perfect emotional and earned death which is why it sticks with you another emotional moment as this is sort of happening, um, they are going to the radio tower and Ben has been beaten. And there's a moment where Rousseau and Alex are together and Ben tells Alex, this is your mother. And when Rousseau, who has been very distant and even when she knew Alex was out there, didn't necessarily want to jump in, but she sees her daughter up close for the first time since she was stolen from her 16 years ago. And they have a nice moment where she just touches her face. And it was like also touching, especially for side characters we're not that invested in, but you could really feel the pain of the distance and the time between these two people who don't know each other, but have such a close link. And shortly after that is where, they realize that Charlie has been successful. He has shut down the signal and they are at the radio tower and they turn off Russo's recording so they can use the sat phone to make a call. And in that moment, when 
Naomi takes the sat phone out. She gets a connection. And finally, everything is starting to, to go our way. Out of nowhere, she gets a knife in the back and falls over. In that moment, Ben is absolutely thrilled. He can't believe his luck that somehow this has happened and outsteps John Locke with a gun threatening to shoot Jack if he uses the phone. This moment was so jarring because I didn't see it coming and I just loved that Naomi gets... This is a time where Locke, you know, he didn't explicitly kill her, but this is where he was willing to to go that extra mile. But then when he has his confrontation with Jack, as you alluded to earlier, he can't pull the trigger because him and Jack have been through so much and Jack and Fox is just killing it in these moments is looking at him and he's like, you are done keeping me on this Island. Like no matter what you think, I have to make this call. You don't have to come with me. It's fine, but I have to. And Locke, you know, maybe his conscience getting the better of him or whatever. He can't do it. And he just says, you are not supposed to do this. This is not supposed to happen. And as we're watching it in this moment, you know, as it's airing, we're cheering, thinking like, yes, Locke is backing down and Jack's making the call. And they make the call. And the guy says that Minkowski on the other line says, we'll come and rescue you. It'll be great. We're on our way. And Jack is, you know, on the brink of tears. And it's just this big celebratory moment. What did you think in that showdown between Locke and Jack as you were watching it? Uh, This part I do remember when I was doing the rewatch with with my grandmother and my grandmother, first of all, at this point, my grandmother was a was an unconsolable wreck because Charlie was one of her favorite characters. And only moments earlier, we saw poor Derek Minahan drown. And when when Naomi got the knife in the back moment, my grandmother was like, (gasps) she she basically ran out of breath. And when it was revealed that it was locked back in the day and even today, I was like, you son of a bitch. I was like, God damn it, John Locke. I look, 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 look. I I subconsciously knew that they weren't going to get off the island. But in that moment, I wanted so badly for for Jack to accomplish his goal of getting his people off the island, no matter what the cost was. And I thought I I thought it was a wonderful moment. And and like I alluded to earlier, I love how. Uh, basically, if you look at it, John Locke has the Batman rule, right? And the Batman rule is, I'm going to go as far as I can, but but there is a line that I've drawn in the sand, and no matter what happens to me, on either side of this line, I will not jump over the line. I really love the fact that, again, to reiterate myself, that that the main reason why John could be actually special to the island is because he's not willing to cross that uncrossable line that he put in the sand of killing someone who he has been through thick and thin with for the sake of this conversation. He's not willing to kill Jack. If he would have killed Jack, can you imagine if back in the day he would have pulled that trigger and he would have killed Jack? 
how would have you have felt if he would have done that to 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 play a little uh, devil's advocate here? Well, it would have been. I can guarantee that ninety percent of people would have stopped watching the show, only because that would be, I think, a line that you can't cross without irrevocably changing the dynamic of the series. I feel. I don't know. The other thing that I would like to sort of allude to here, I was like, okay, because we know that whoever's coming for these, who, uh, whoever these people are, whoever the people uh, that, Na- that, that Naomi represents or is a part of, like, I want to know more about that group. Like, like, I remember specific things about that group, but I want to know what do they want on this island? What, like, like, what do they want and, and, and what do they possibly want to get out of the island? So this, uh, this two-part episode, like you stated, um, answered so many questions and sort of wrapped up so many storylines that we've been, uh, uh, experiencing through here, uh, throughout this season and throughout some of the earlier ones as well in good loss fashion this episode opens up an entire can of worms. What did you think of the quote-unquote flashbacks that we experienced throughout the two hours of this season finale? Did you find them to be any different than the other flashbacks, or did you think that there was something happening in specific with these flashbacks that made them look different to the other ones that we have experienced before? So I do remember that as this aired and I didn't necessarily call that they were flash forwards, but as these were happening and we're seeing Jack at his absolute lowest drunk, suicidal, still being a hero, but having all this baggage going to this funeral where we don't know who is being buried, whose funeral it is. And he's the only person there. So much stuff that usually a lot of the flashbacks thematically echo what is happening on the island in present time. And all of these, none of these were echoing thematically what was happening on the island. So in terms of the way that Lost is usually structured, I remember thinking that something felt off about these as we were watching it and partly because Jack in these moments goes so dark and is basically embodying everything he hated about his father that I was like, how did he get here from what we have known about Jack in the flashbacks? Like character wise, this doesn't track if he had fallen off so hard if he had been through popping pills, drinking stuff, had been suspended at the hospital, like this just doesn't add up. And the fact that thematically they weren't echoing the stuff on the island. I remember when this was airing, I was like, something is off about this and I didn't know what it was. And then in the final scene of the episode, after we are so happy that they have made this call and we think, you know, In that moment, Jack is relieved that everything he's been working towards for three seasons has finally happened. They are going to get rescued. And then as Jack is standing by the runway 
and a car pulls up and the person emerges from the shadows and it's Kate. In that moment when it dawned on me that what we were seeing was the future, that they had made it off the island. It was mind blowing that we had been married to flashbacks for so many episodes and now lost through us a curveball saying that is not something we're married to. We can do flash forwards if we want was amazing. And the fact that this whole episode was about this triumphant making the call to be rescued and Jack in every moment knows that he is doing the right thing to get off the island. And in this final flashback, he says to Kate, we were never meant to leave. And she says, yes, we were. And he says, no, we were wrong. We have to go back. And I'm like, oh my God, like never in a million years would I have thought that on Lost, not only would they get off the island, but Jack would think that that was a mistake and that they would have to go back. And that Jack Shepard that we know through everything that has happened on the island to Jack in the flash forwards, his life has taken such a turn since he's gotten back that what are the events that happen from them making that call to him being drunk in his car, you know, screaming uh, and suicidal while listening to Nirvana? What happens in that gap? So it changes some of the the questions about lost to instead of being about the supernatural nature of the Island and all of these running questions. Now I've got more character questions on how does Jack go from this triumphant moment of making this call crying with tears of joy in his eyes to screaming outside an airport about how they have to go back to the Island who was in that coffin who else got off the island? Who does Kate have to go back to? So much running through my mind that this was one of the best finales I've ever seen in terms of flipping the script, just pulling the rug out from under your feet in such an exhilarating way that knowing that Lost had announced its end date, I was so excited thinking, I have no idea where this is headed now because the thing of them getting off the island and being rescued being the end of the show is not the end of the show. And it blew my mind. It's what makes me love this episode. It puts such a mark on television for being daring and bold. And it just makes your heart break for these characters that you love, knowing that even when they get what they think they wanted, it might not be all it's cracked up to be. That scene with Kate and Jack at the airport is without equivocation one of my favorite scenes in Lost history. There's something about that scene that is so tragic and so awful. It's like, what did they do? Like, what did they do? Uh, that'll do it for this edition of Radio 815. Listen, if you guys like at all uh, what we do here and you want to reach out to us. Uh, there are a couple ways to do that. We have a, a Twitter account for the show at JJUniverse815. You can add us there or you can DM us there. But if you want to talk to us individually, I'm on Twitter at CreekFanatic88. Matt, if the good folks 
want to chat with you personally, what would be the best place for them to do that? The best place is on Twitter at Matt Crandall. All right, guys. So with all that being said and out of the way, as I often say, we'll talk back soon.